it's his presence that makes us distinct. We've looked at his power, his extraordinary power. But now this week, if you want a title, we're going to call it Our Ordinary, His Extraordinary. So we're going to be in 1 Kings, I think it's 1 Kings 18, and we're going to look at another Old Testament hero. We've been looking at Moses, this week we're looking at Elijah, just an amazing man of the Old Testament. And we're going to read this amazing moment in Elijah's life where he's having a power down on the mountainside. He's having this like power show off on the mountain. And there's this moment with him and these, these worshippers of a false god. And they're like saying, well, my God's bigger than your God. No, my God's bigger than your God. And they have, right, let's prove it. So let's prove. Let's have this moment on the mountain. And Moses says to, the, uh, sorry, Elijah says to these prophets of Baal, they're called, uh, you build an altar, you cut up this bull and put it on the altar, and then you, you call your God to come and consume it. And then I'll build an altar and I'll, I'll put my stuff on it and let's see what happens. And so uh, Elijah tells these prophets of Baal, you start calling out to your God. You've made the altar, you've put the sacrifice on it, now call out. And I think Elijah gets a little bit, can I say cocky in church? I think he gets a little bit cocky. It's just this moment where he, it's brilliant. In, I think it's in 1 Kings 17, chapter, uh, verse 27. He says, he says to these prophets of Baal, he says, oh, nothing's happening. Maybe your God's just having a little bit of a think. And then he says, Maybe your God, and I love, I love how the Bible makes it so palatable, but he says, maybe your God is relieving himself. In other words, maybe your God is too busy on the toilet doing what you do on the toilet that he can't consume your offering. And Elijah must be loving this moment, but then he has to step out. And he has to step out. And so he gathers up the rocks and he gathers up the sticks and he creates this altar. And he takes the bits of this bull and puts it on the altar and, uh, and we see in verse 36 of 1 Kings 18, it'll come up on the screen. We should have the PowerPoint on the screen with the, with the passage on if you've not got a Bible. But it says in verse 36 of 1 Kings 18, it says, And at the point of the offering of, obligation, of oblation, that just means at the point of the sacrifice, it's a fancy Bible word. At this time of the offering of the sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near. So he's getting ready, right? The offering is here. We've got it all set. The altar's made. The service is prepared. Now, God, you best show up. Please, God, show up. It's my prayer every Sunday morning. Oh, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this your people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then, I love a then in the Bible. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stone and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Lord, as we just gather around your word, we just thank you that you are God. Lord, you are God. There is no one like you. And Lord, we just, we just ask right now, Lord, just speak to us from your word. Do what only your Holy Spirit can do, which is to speak to each one of us right where we're at. And Lord, will you just work a miracle? Lord, we still believe the Lions can win in New Zealand. We really do believe it. They might have lost yesterday, but we believe that they're a lion and the lion is a picture of you. So Lord, just, just let us be victorious in New Zealand. Amen. Come on, Pat, say amen. There's got to be a miracle down there, hasn't there? We're going to beat the All Blacks. Um, let me ask you a question. Do you ever compare yourself to other people? Ever, ever look at other people and compare yourself? Yeah? I'm glad that's not just me. 
But um, often we can look at the people around us and just think, wow, what an amazing person they are. I, in case you don't know, I love rugby. It's one of my favourite sports. Liking cricket a little less after South Africa on Friday. Just a bad decision there. Uh, sorry, we've been having a bit of a rant this morning about what happened. I thought the battery had gone. I forget, never upset the sound man. <laughs> okay, we're going to stop. Um, but I love rugby. Rugby we're okay on because it's not against South Africa, it's New Zealand, so we're all right. Um, and I, I used to play rugby when I was at school and um, I was never one, of, <laughs> never one of, I'm not what now, but I was, I've never been one of the big, tall, you know, six foot high, six foot wide kind of guys. I always wanted to play in the scrum. I just felt like that's the place that menly men play rugby. But I was always fullback. So I was full back because I could catch, kick and run really. But there was this moment where we were playing um, just at our own school and we'd been divided into two teams. And there was this one guy on our rugby team. Um, we'll call him Rob. Not this Rob. We weren't at school together, um, as you might be able to tell. But uh, another guy called Rob. I, he's far, he looks loads younger than me. Um, I'm going to stick to my notes because when I go off my notes, it goes terrible. So um, I'm playing against Rob, and, and Rob is one of these guys, like he was shaving before the rest of us could spell puberty. He was that kind of guy. He was really, he would wear our, sh our, our trousers as his shorts. That's the, he was big. He was a big, hairy guy, and we were only like 13. Uh, less than that, we were like nine. And so we're playing rugby, and, and um, deep, deep in their half, this was before touch rugby became what you had to do. This was full contact at the age of nine. It was brilliant. Um, and and he, passes, he gets past the ball, and he is just running, and he is just knocking all of our forwards out of the way. He jumps over our scrum half, and the only thing that's stopping us as a team from, getting that, from him scoring that try is me. Little me stood there, and I'm thinking, this is not a chance. And in my head is just everything I've learned from rugby practice. Right, get into position. I'm going to go in with the shoulder. I'm going to be, it's going to be fine. And I, I go to make the tackle. I'm going to wrap my legs around. I've got this grand plan of being just, just taking him out. And I've got my eyes closed. And I just feel this immense pain in my face. And I open my eyes and his hand is on my face. And I'm flying in the opposite direction to him. It's, it's like he's got Jedi force and he's just going, you shall not stop me. As he runs past and he pops my nose. And so I broke my nose and blood flies that way and he runs that way and they score the try and I'm in a heap on the floor. Oh, I wish I was Rob when it came to rugby. I wish I was that strong and that big. But we're so good at comparing ourselves, aren't we? But the problem is when we compare ourselves, we often compare ourselves in the big moments. In that try scoring moment, we compare ourselves to other people. The big stuff. But we miss the ordinary and we miss all the details. There's a, a bottle of urine sat on the desk of Dr. William Osler. He's the eminent professor of medicine at Oxford University. And he's got all these wide-eyed students in front of him. And he's teaching about the, the importance of observing detail. And he says to his students, it's often possible when you have a sample to be able to determine the disease that the patient is suffering from from simply tasting the sample. So what I'm going to do is I'm dipping my finger into the sample and I'm going to taste the urine. And he does it in front of the class and the class wins. It's disgusting. It's like, now it's your turn. And we're going to determine what disease this person was suffering with. So he passes it around the room and they're all dipping their finger in and tasting the wee with frowns and scorns on their face. thinking this is disgusting. When the, when the, when the pot comes back to, to Dr. William Osler, he has it in front of him and says, I'm teaching you on the importance of observing detail and those observant among you would have noticed that when I dipped my finger into the sample, I used my index finger. And when I tasted the sample, 
I used my middle finger. See, it's so important to observe detail. Otherwise, we all just go around tasting pots of wee when really we shouldn't be. See, detail is crucial, not just in the spectacular, not just in the extraordinary moments. Rob, who was amazing at rugby, it was lost on me that he would go to rugby training four times a week while I would sit and watch The Simpsons on TV. The details are so important. We can look at super Christians. We can look at the heroes of Scripture, the Moseses, the Elijahs, the Davids, the Pauls, the Peters, and we think, wow, if only I could do half of what they've done for God. But do you see their story? Do you know the ordinary, the mundane moments, even the painful moments that got them to where they are today? Maybe you look at the people around you and think, wow, they just seem to have a word from God every week. It's phenomenal. But do you see how they honor God in the mundane? Do you see that they praise with a limp? That there's been moments where they've stepped out for God and thought, oh, I got that monumentally wrong. But they stepped out. It's in the moments of the ordinary, in the moments of the mundane, in the moments of the pain that we can prove God. And this is the story of Elijah. See, we have, we just read this moment of Elijah on the mountain spectacular moment for Elijah. But if you jump back just a chapter when we're introduced to him, in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, in verse 2, it says, And the word of the Lord came to him. This is Elijah. It says, Depart from here and turn eastwards and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. You see, Elijah way before anything spectacular happens in the public, he is privately in a place where he can hear the voice of God. He is learning to hear the voice of God. Can you hear the voice of God? Do you know what the voice of God sounds like? Do you know its cadence? Do you know its rhythm? Do you know its tone? Are we in a place where we can hear the voice of God? Or are the noises of doubt and bitterness and jealousy and lust and I'm just too busy God it's really important stuff that I'm doing are those voices louder than the voice of God can we hear the voice of God see the first thing we see with Elijah is a private moment where he's learning to hear the voice of God church we need to get to know the voice of God and often it's in private moments where nobody else is watching, not in the public moment at some amazing service where, oh, I've just felt like God's just said this and, and you say it. And it's just like, I, I just sense that God's saying that he wants to touch this kind of person. Maybe you've got this pain in your body and it's, and it's really specific. I've been in those meetings where someone has said something so specific. It's like, that's got to be God. Either that or you're best mates with them. Oh, we've never met. Wow, that's got to be God. How do you get that? Oh, the private moments when you're learning to hear the voice of God. The Elijah moments when you say, God... I'm learning what your voice sounds like. I'm not sure. Because let's be honest, God says to him, go to the brook of Cherith and drink from the water there and the ravens will feed you. <laughs> okay. Is that God? That's a little bit weird. Little bit bizarre. But are we willing to trust and obey the voice of God? Because that's what Elijah is learning in these early moments with God. He's not just learning to hear the voice of God. He's learning to obey it even when it seems bizarre. But in these private moments, he is learning to obey the voice of God. The word of the Lord came to, came to Elijah, go to this brook and you'll be fed by ravens. God, that seems a little bit weird, but I'm learning what it is to hear your voice and to obey, so I'll step out. And he goes 
and he goes to the brook. It's like this is God's moment with Elijah to deepen his faith. We expect these spectacular moments in our life where God is going to move and God's going to do phenomenal things that we write off the ordinary and the mundane. But in those moments, God wants to work something in preparation for the possibility that the spectacular may just happen. And he's saying, are you willing to hear my voice and obey? And I can just imagine Elijah. God, I can cope with the idea of the brook. That's the natural, isn't it? Oh, I'm going to get there. I know the brook Cherith. It's not that far from where he lived. Elijah the Tishbite, it wasn't a massive walk from where he was to that brook. I know it. I've been there. I can see it. But then that's the natural. But then there's this weird thing you've said about the ravens. Now, I don't know if you know anything about ravens. I went online and just thought, let's have a little look at what ravens are about. Ravens are not known for their generosity. Okay. They're not. I mean, you may know this, but ravens actually can often, when they're looking for food, they will go in pairs. And if an animal has just killed something and is, is eating it, one of the, the ravens will come in and distract the, uh, the, the animal that's eating so the other one can pinch the food and then they can both fly off and have the food together. They hunt, they hunt and follow wolf, wolf packs. So when the wolf has devoured them, they'll just come in and just scavenge. They're not known for their generosity. Yet here, God is saying, go to the brook and I will feed you with ravens. See, we've got the natural. Elijah can handle that. But then there's the supernatural. And God can handle that. Are we willing to step out and trust and obey? There were, as a moment when I was 13, and I heard God speak to me. Not audibly. I've never heard an audible voice of God. But I've had three moments. In my 33 years, I've had three moments where it's just been an intense sense that God is saying something to me and I have to listen to that word and I have to obey it. And when I was 13, I was at a camp and uh, I don't know when I became a Christian really, but I had an experience with the Holy Spirit when I was 13. And uh, after that moment with God, I was walking around this field and I was praying. And I felt God say to me, you will lead a church. You will lead a church. That's what my call is for your life. You will lead a church. And he gave me in that moment a passion for his bride, a deep passion for his church, for his hands, his feet, the hope of the world. I'm passionate about the church. And, and I went about serving the church in every possible way. I have done every job in church you could possibly imagine. I've vacuumed the floor. I've cleaned the toilets. I've been the welcomer at the door. I've been on the kids team, the youth team, the hospitality team, the welcome team. I've, I've done it all because I'm just passionate about church. It's just, it's not hard for me. Some stuff I felt like I was playing out of position. It's like kids wind me up. Even my own kids sometimes wind me up, but I'm going to get on and do it. It's great fun. Uh, and I, I've slept on concrete floors in Africa to build the church. And I've preached to church leaders in Pakistan. I've done loads. But it wasn't until two years ago, just over, that I came and led this church. And it was the first church I'd led. So question, was I doing the will of God for those 20 years between 13 and 30? Or have I only been doing the will of God for my life for the last two years because that's what he's called? There's this tree. Let me bring it up. There's a picture of this tree on the screen. This tree is called the Chinese bamboo tree. This tree does not grow like any other tree anywhere in the world. Most trees, if you've got a tree in your garden maybe or you walk around the park, trees grow slowly and steadily, don't they? Often so slow that we don't notice it. The Chinese bamboo tree, it's planted and it is underground and not seen for four years. Nothing happens. You don't see a thing. And then in the fifth year, the Chinese bamboo tree in the fifth year can grow as much as 90 feet in five weeks. 90 feet in five weeks. So my question, 
Did the tree grow 90 feet in five weeks or in five years? Grew in five years. There's stuff happening in the ordinary, the mundane, the stuff that nobody sees. There's stuff happening that is preparation for something spectacular. There is something so ordinary taking place that at some point the extraordinary is seen. But we don't underestimate, we don't undermine, we don't belittle the ordinary unseen stuff that's taking place. There's moments where we need to learn to hear the voice of God and we need to obey. They will seem small. They will seem insignificant. At the time, they may seem huge, but looking back, I'm sure that's what Elijah felt. When he got to the point when he's in the prophets of Baal on this mountain, he's looking back at that moment when God said, oh, step out and go and live by this brook and let the ravens fit. God, that seemed easy, God, compared to this. That seemed ordinary and mundane and nothing compared to this. But there's a process where God is deepening his faith. And Elijah learns to prove God. Church, we need private moments where we can learn to prove God. Because if we develop that in the private, wow, imagine what can happen in the public. In the ordinary moments, we can learn to prove God. God will prove himself. He is a God of his word, but he will not always prove himself in ways we want or expect but it will always take us deeper into our journey of faith. Just look at what happens with Elijah after he gets to the brook. In verse 7, it says, And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. It's like Elijah has just stepped out. God, you said you're going to feed me with this natural stuff called water, and then the ravens supernaturally going to come and feed me. I've stepped out. It's fantastic. And now what's happened? The natural seems to have wiped out the supernatural there's there's no water left the land is barren and dry as a crisp god what are you doing to me surely god you can make it rain surely god you can sort out this problem surely god you can give me that job that breakthrough that little sign that everything is going to be okay but this is a journey of faith and something we need to learn on the journey and something that elijah is learning is when the means of god's provision dries up the source of it doesn't these are moments we learn in the private these are moments we learn maybe you're looking at your life and thinking i've proved god i've stepped out i've trusted him but what a mess what a dry and barren land nothing's making sense church we need to go on a journey of faith where it says the provision may have dried up but the source never does he will never dry up he will never be barren he will never ever ever leave you See, for Elijah, this isn't so much the end of a season. Often we can look at the things around us. We've stepped out. God, you're going to step in. It's going to be phenomenal. And he does, and then it all goes backwards. And there's moments in our life where it feels like we're going backwards. It's like, God, I don't understand any of this. It's not the end of a season. Look at Elijah. He's fe- often, I would imagine he's feeling like he's going backwards. I trusted you, God, but the brook's dried up. He's going backwards. This is the opening to a new season of his life. A season of his life where God is going to deepen his faith and deepen his sphere of influence. Because that's what the journey of faith is about. Be faithful with what you've got in your hands right now, the ordinary, the mundane, the normal, and trust me for what might happen. Trust me. But are we willing to trust him in the, the, the mundane, the boring, the ordinary stuff that we've got right in our hands right now? Go for Elijah. God then says, the word of, I love it, the word of the Lord comes to him again in verse 8. It's like this second chapter. It's a repeat of that phrase, the word of the Lord. And he says this time, I want you to go and I want, there's a widow that I want you to find and she's going to feed you her and her son do you see suddenly his faith has to go deeper 
God, I stepped out last time and it didn't work. So what happens if I step out this time and it doesn't work? God, what do I do then? Leave that to me. Your job is to step out, to step out on the waters where feet may fail. We sing about it. Do we believe it? Your job's to step out, Elijah. And he's also broadening his sphere of influence. This isn't just about Elijah by a brook with some ravens. This is now involving other people. This is a widow and her son. And so Elijah asks for some water from this widow. And then in verse 11 of chapter 17, it says, And as she was going to bring it, she called her, uh, he called her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm going to gather uh, a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for my son, myself and my son that we may eat and die. And Elijah had said to her, here's the step of faith. This isn't just about him anymore. This is about others. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake um, of it and bring it to me and afterwards make something for yourself. I'm going to read on. Verse 15, it says, And she went and did as Elijah said. She went and did as Elijah said. Do you see? Sphere of influence. Suddenly other people are being impacted because Elijah's willing to step out for God. Can you see the moment? Can you see the trajectory of Elijah's life? Starting by, by, by himself, by a brook, and now suddenly there's other people involved. And they have faith because he has faith because he's stepping out. Church, God is calling this church to a deeper level of faith and a greater sphere of influence. I believe that for individuals within this church, and I believe that corporately as a church. And it's not going to look like we think it looks like. And it's not going to happen like we expect it's going to happen. There are some people that have been praying for influence in high places within our world. And they're so busy praying about it that they're not being obedient to what God's given them right in their hands. I'm not saying don't pray. But it's hearing the word of God and obeying. And some people are so busy praying that we would have influence in high places. And God's saying, look what I've given you and you're not being faithful with that. I'm not going to give you influence up there when when you're not even serving here. When you're not even honoring me there. Church, I believe that God is calling us to deepen our faith and through that broaden our sphere of influence. And for some, that will mean that you need to live your faith on a Monday morning the same way you do on a Sunday morning. For others, it's about stepping out when the word of the Lord comes to you and you need to not just hear the word of the Lord, but you need to obey it. You need to step across to the other side of the street, whatever it is that you need to do when that moment comes. For others of you, it's not just about talking about seeking God and getting to know him. It's about actually seeking God and getting to know him. But he's calling us to deepen our faith and to broaden our sphere of influence. Elijah continually through the ups and downs of his life. And boy, just read the story of Elijah. There are so many ups and downs. It's incredible how he sticks close to God. But he does what is right in front of him and allows God to do what God does. The ravens, the flour, the oil, and then the fire. See, with that widow, Elijah ends up being with that widow and the oil and the flour, they never run out. He steps out. He hears the word of the Lord. He obeys in the natural. He does what he's got right in front of him and God steps in with the supernatural to the point where then the fire comes. See, God's pro- Elijah's proved himself in the private. He's proved God in the private. And then comes this public moment for Elijah. See, the golden years of Israel are gone. This isn't the heyday for Israel. This is 58 years since David and Solomon have been and gone. 
Six kim kings have come and gone. Each of them has been worse than the previous. And now it's King Ahab. And his wife, Jezebel, is so involved in the occult that it isn't even funny. It's like it's the darkest place that Israel has been. There have been no miracles. And God has been relegated to simply one of many gods. There are only 7,000 worshippers of Yahweh left. Can you imagine? 7,000, that's it. And now is the big one for Elijah. This isn't about ravens and water anymore. This isn't even about a widow and her son anymore. This is about the future of the nation of Israel. This is about God's reputation. This is about the destruction of false gods. This is huge. And Elijah is standing there. He has done everything in the natural. He has gathered all the rocks. He's gathered all the bricks. He's got the altar ready. The bits of bull are on there. And he's saying, God, now I'm going to pray. Because I've done everything I can in the natural. I've proved you in the past. And God, even when I thought you let me down, you took me into another chapter where I just went deeper in with you. And, and you did more and more stuff with me. Remember that widow and, that oil and, and her son and that oil and that... Wow, God, right now, you're calling me to prove who you are. Prove who you are to me and prove who you are to these prophets right now. God, will you come and consume the altar? And Elijah prays. Then the fire of the Lord fell, verse 38 of chapter 18, and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. See, it's so easy to compare ourselves, isn't it? So easy to look at somebody else's life and think, wow, what an amazing man or woman of God they are. Have you ever walked where they walk? Have you taken the journey of faith, of perseverance that they've taken? Have you stepped out into the unknown when you really didn't want to? And you've, ha you've had nothing else to rely on other than God stepping in. Have you experienced letting God down because you didn't step out? See, these moments in our life are all part of deepening our journey of faith. Church, we need to prove God in the menial and the mundane, not just the massive and the magnificent. Each day, faithful. Each day, going, God, I'm, I'm going to live today for the glory of your name. Whether I get to pray for somebody's healing in the middle of the street and see something phenomenal, or whether I go to work and I sit at my desk and I stare at that computer and work as hard as I can today. Whatever it looks like. I'm going to serve you. Guys, I'm going to land the plane with this, and we're going to come and take communion and then finish. But I love Matthew 14. Matthew 14 is this moment where um, they're all sat on a mountainside, and, and Jesus is trying to escape the people, really, because his cousin has just been executed, or he's just heard that John the Baptist has been executed. And, and they're on this mountainside, and the crowds are gathering. Don't tell me that Jesus doesn't understand what it's like to have a tough day. When you have a tough day, Jesus gets it because he's got these crowds following him and he's wanting to escape and he sits them all down and he says to his disciples, look, we've been teaching them and he does healing. It says, I love it, it says, filled with compassion, he heals them. So remember last week, filled with compassion, he heals the people. And, uh, and the, uh, he's then saying, well, surely these guys must be hungry. So he sends the disciples off and says, guys, sort out feeding them. You go and feed them. And I love it because the disciples come back to him and say, we haven't got really that much to feed 5,000 men plus their wives and their kids. We've got these five loaves and these two fish. Do you know there's two things that happen in that story that facilitate a miracle? One is the disciples were willing to come to Jesus with the little they had. They didn't write it off. See, if that was me, I'd have gone, five loaves, two fish, 5,000 people. 
Gosh, it looks like it's going to rain. I think we need to call this. Guys, we're outside. Let's call this picnic off. Uh, it's going to rain. Sorry, we tried our hardest, but let's come back again another day. Enjoy. God bless. See you later. That's what I would have done. But the disciples, they proved God. They proved Jesus through the, the process of their journey. So they come to him with the little they have. And they say, we've got five loaves and two fish. This is ridiculous. And then there's this amazing moment as Jesus takes them. And the second thing, the first thing is that they're willing to bring the little they have. And the second thing is Jesus in verse 19 of Matthew 14 says, Jesus directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. Willing to give the little you have and then thanking God that you have that little. How often do you thank God for the little you've got? for the empty spaces in your life, for the inadequacies, for the it's not enough. God, I believe you're calling me to step out and do this in my workplace, but I don't have, I don't have what it takes. I need to be this kind of dad, this kind of grandmother, but I don't have what it takes. Do you thank God for the little you've got? Willing to bring it to him? The willingness of the disciples to give Jesus the little they had in the natural allowed a miracle in the supernatural maybe it's your time your energy your finances your health your lack of time your lack of energy your lack of finances your lack of health prove God in the private prove God in the public give him your lack and watch what he can do with it just watch what God can do with it Ian can you just come and play for us we're going to come and take communion Just in this moment, if you're able to, let's just stand to our feet. We've got 10 minutes and we're going to draw to a close and we're going to pray for people. And I want you just to picture, just close your eyes and just picture yourself right now. Just stood as you're standing right now if you're able to. You know, long before there was a temple long before there was elaborate spaces and places for God to be worshipped, there were these guys, the patriarchs. Abraham. Jacob. Isaac. These guys, they would arrive in a place and they would set up an altar and that would be their temple. And God would meet with them. And do you know the altar that they made wasn't made of fine gold, wasn't made of elaborate tapestries and paintings. They would look around and they'd find the rubble and the rocks and they'd bring them together and they'd make an altar and they would offer to God there and then. From the rubble around them. I want you to picture right now, just around your feet, rubble, for some that may be easier than others if your life is in that kind of place but just imagine the rubble around you and that rubble represents your life there's some really big rocks that seem like they can't be moved there's some little rocks that do you know what they fit in quite nicely it just slots in right there there are some sharp rocks like you touch them and you get hurt but you're gathering them all together just picture yourself gathering all the ordinary, rubbly bits of your life and you start to shape an altar. 
And they come together as a place of worship to the King of Kings. And now picture yourself just lying on top of that altar. All the rubble of your life, the stuff that makes sense, the stuff that doesn't. One rock sticking into your back, the other one's nice and smooth. Just the ordinary stuff. But offered to an extraordinary God. You say, God, if if you're willing in this moment, you pray just in your own mind or maybe you want to say it quietly. God, I just offer you it all now. The ordinary of my life, I offer you. I give it to you. God, I give you my ordinary. Knowing that one day you may just bring your extraordinary. I want to encourage you in this moment. We're going to come to another altar. An altar that we remember Christ and all that he's given. It's just a table. It's nothing religious or sacred about it. But the picture is of Jesus who gave everything. So something amazing could happen. That we who knew no sin could become... So he who knew no sin became sin so we could become right with God. Something through him offering everything. Something miraculous has happened where we are accepted. We are loved. We are forgiven. Because of his body that was broken. And his blood that was shed. So as you come forward, we don't force anyone to do anything. But you may just want to use this moment as an opportunity to pray and say, God, I don't feel like I've got much. In fact, it's so little that I've written myself off. That's what God wants. Bring your emptiness and let him fill it. Offer your life afresh. So he's just going to lead us in a song. But in this moment, you may be here and you may be saying, John, I don't feel like I'm in a place where I, I can be accepted by God. Do you know what? believe you're here for a purpose believe God has brought you here in this moment and he says you are accepted you are loved just as every eye is closed maybe you're in a place where you've never said yes to Jesus or maybe you need to come back to him right now and you need to say yes maybe for the fifth fifth time the 500th time but you know in this moment the Holy Spirit is drawing you closer to himself and you need to respond I'm going to do something really simple whether you need to say yes for the first time or recommit your life to Jesus I'm just going to count to three and just ask you to raise your hand and you can put it straight back down we'll pray for you and you can come and take communion one two three just raise your hands amen just raise your hands God I thank you thank you that there are moments when we can come back to you or moments we can come to you for the first time and your arms are open wide. We're going to sing a song in a minute that talks about the Father's arms being open wide. His arms are open wide. Forgiveness of the Father says, come into my presence. Offer me all that you have. Lord, right now, for those of us that believe and trust in you, we declare you Lord and Saviour of our life and we will offer you the ordinary, the mundane. We'll give you everything we can because you've given everything to us. 
So church, you just want to make your way forward. Just take communion. If you want some prayer this morning, then whilst communion is taking place, we're short on space here. Next week, we're back at the Arts House. So we get a bit more space. But if you want prayer, then um, maybe we can just um, move some stuff and we'll pray for you. Is that okay? We'll, we'll move this back a bit and you can kind of gather in here, take communion. We'd love to pray with you. If you need healing this morning, we want to pray God's healing. We've seen uh, God doing some great stuff in Mavis and Skylar and, uh, and we'd love to pray with you. So please just make your way forward and if you want prayer, then there'll be guys here that can pray with you. Just make your way when you're ready.